Well, friends, welcome today to today's uh, True Church Network webinar. Uh, we are joined today by my good friend, Dr. Matt Snowden, uh, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Waco, Texas. Matt, thanks for joining us, buddy. Thank you, Matt. Matt it's and Matt, be here. that's going to get confusing. We, uh, we'll see how this goes. But <laughs> It was, you know, Matt, for those that don't know, Matt, Matt Holmeyer was interim on our staff for a while, and the two Matt thing got, got really odd. And uh, we, we toyed with a number of nicknames, and we landed on Matt the Slick and Matt the Silver. That's and right, uh, right. So, yeah. so together we are Slick Silver. <laughs> Again, we need, a, we need to work on our handshake for that. But we'll, yeah. once we get well, back now, together. Nowadays, it's more like sign language. You can't get away with a handshake. <laughs> Matt, tell us just a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, about your background, bio, some yeah. of those details. Uh, I grew up in Meridian, Mississippi. Uh, Great, great family uh, that I love dearly. Uh, uh, I grew up in a construction uh, family. My father was a commercial contractor, his dad, his dad. So I, I grew up in a family business kind of world. Uh, went to college at William Carey College where I met Meredith. Uh, we've been married for 20 years now. Uh, we have two kids, Molly Catherine, 14, Wes, 13. Uh, this is our 10th year uh, This in about two weeks. In, in Waco at First Baptist. Uh -huh. So so this is a big sort of year for us, 20 years of marriage, 10 years here, 20 years of being a pastor. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of where we are right now. 10 years in Waco. You're, you're yes. almost becoming a Texan, my friend. I tell you, I said after 10 years, I was going to buy a turquoise ring to celebrate my, my, <laughs> my, my roots growing uh, in in the hard rocky soil of, of the west and uh, that's right and I, I have I love I, I love where I came from I have a deep deep sense of place but man I I really love Texas uh, Texas has been good to me and uh, I, I try to be good to Texas well, we we Texans are glad you're here and we we thank you welcome you with open arms and adopt you as one of our own I I, 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 I receive that with gratitude <laughs> uh, well. You know, the problem when you and I get together is we just chase tangents and talk. Um, but I'm going to try to, you know, keep us on point a little bit today. Um, gotcha. Uh, we'll see how this goes. I, I have very little confidence we'll be successful, but we'll see how. Oh, it'll, it'll, it'll be fun one way or the other. One I mean. way or the other. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So little disclaimer here. We're, we're here to talk about um, how do we shape our church's culture in pandemic. And Matt and I visited a lot about this, and I think others have, and what, what, maybe just to say what we're not talking about, um, we're not talking about wider cultural issues, you know, that may be really pertinent at the moment, like racial tensions and becoming uh, increasingly aware and fighting for anti-racism or, or any number of other things we could mention. We're, we have dealt with those on our webinars. We're discussing that ne next week in Todd Talks. But really this week, we're fo focusing about local church culture, your particular church's culture in this particular time, and, and how do we shape that? That doesn't mean wider things don't figure into that, but just kind of to set the boundaries and the baseline for this particular discussion, um, that's kind of what we're talking about. So let's give a baseline, Matt. When we talk about church culture, um, what, what are we talking about here? What are we talking about when we discuss church culture? Matt, you remember that old Peter Drucker line that culture eats uh, strategy for breakfast? Yeah. You know, I heard that as a young pastor, and you you likely did too, and, and we've said it for many years and, and believe it. And I used to think that, that culture was something extremely mysterious. I used to talk about it as the angel of the church, 
Uh, and I still think about it in that way. I think there's a corporate identity aspect back to culture. But uh, for so long, I, I thought you had to discern it. You know, I thought you had to feel it out. And a lot of people think that way. And uh, Peter Cesaro, do you know the Emotionally Healthy? Yeah, yeah. Past, great, great book. But uh, there's a, a little paragraph in there about, about culture that sort of is an example of the way I, I used to think about this. He said, culture is that imprecise something, the invisible presence or personality of a place that can be difficult to describe without actually experiencing it. It is often more readily felt than articulated. Perhaps the simplest and best definitions I've come across describe culture as the sum total of the learned patterns of thought and behavior of any given group and culture is what human beings make of the world. Uh, so for a long time, I thought about it like that, Matt, you know, is this imprecise corporate personality that you have to meet as the leader, uh, shake the angel of the church's yeah. hand, you know, Levi Price used to invite me into his classes at Truett to talk talk about this. And and uh, I told him every church has an angel. And, and Levi was quick to point out, and every church has some ghosts. And uh, <laughs> he's so great. He's just so wonderful. Just so wonderful. And, uh, and so I thought about it for a long time. Uh, you know, about a year ago, I read an old an old piece written by J.B. Gamble. I mean, this yeah. is early, early Texas Baptist life. Yeah. Where, where, where he, standard, right? Way back. Yeah. 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 South, early, early part of Southwestern Seminary taught ecclesiology, Baptist yeah. standard. He was at Mercer for a while. Uh, he was Baptist record in Mississippi. So he was an early, early Baptist, Baptist leader. Feet of clay. I mean, a lot of problems. Uh, I grew up it, in a Gambrel Baptist Association, actually. Yeah. Sure, sure. So, you know, a lot of, lot of problems, you know, historically as any, you know, any people of that era, but an interesting mind. And uh, from time to time, you still pick out things that are, that are extremely thought provoking. And I like to read old things, you know, and yeah. so I was just sort of casually thumbing through one of his collections of, of essays. And there was, there was a piece in there called working a batch of dough. Hmm. He's talking about church life uh, in, in, in his, in his context. And he says, there's no more greater nor hopeful task before us than so to culture our people as to bring them to a New Testament way of thinking and feeling. This culture is perhaps as much needed in the so-called high circles as in the lowest. He says, I'm not thinking now of worldly culture, but of soul culture growing out of a deep experimental knowledge of God. And uh, so I, I read that paragraph, Matt, and I started thinking a lot about this image of working a batch of dough and about culture. And he talked about the real elements of soul culture. And so I started thinking, well, you know, does it have to be as mysterious as Cesaro says, does it have to be as imprecise as he suggests uh, or, or as, you know, it has to just totally discerned uh, or are there ways to analyze it? I mean, can you, can you, if you're thinking about the church as a batch of dough, which, you know, Paul used that image in, in first Corinthians that we're, we are one loaf that's come from the common loaf, which is Christ. Can you break it down into its constituent parts and analyze it and think about it um, and, and, and culture it as there, there's a verbal kind of way to go about it. Can you do that? Uh, and other people have kind of touched at this. Aubrey Malfers did a little something. Andrew Hebert, uh wrote a, a piece where he dealt with a couple of the constituent uh, issues. But I, I just went back and started looking at what are the, what are the you know, of common culture, what are some of the ingredients? 
So uh, it basically comes down to a handful of things, beliefs, attitudes, values, goals, and practices. All right, so you have these basic constituent parts. Uh, and I started reading the epistles with, through this lens. And I said, so what's going on in the in New Testament churches? Well, it seems that at some point, you know, they're uh, Paul or John or someone is addressing the beliefs or the attitudes or uh, the values, the goals, and the goal being like the kingdom of God as the goal that has uh, sub goals, which are even have sub goals, which turn out to be concrete plans. And you see all this in, in the New Testament. So I started reading the Bible that way. And then I went and sat down with Larry Lyon uh, from Baylor, uh, sociology of religion guy, great guy, uh, church member. And we often have email exchanges after sermons. You know, it's a unique congregation when you get that going on. And, uh, and I said, Larry, this is what I'm thinking. Do these look like the elements of culture? Just, just basic culture. Get, yep. That's pretty much it. <laughs> so that kind of green gave me a green light to think, you know, really carefully about this and, and, Say those and five again, beliefs, okay. beliefs, beliefs. All right. Beliefs. So, you know, N.T. Wright said that theology is the backbone of a healthy church. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think sometimes people talk about community for the sake of community, right? Yeah. And so we, we gather because we gather. Well, the, the, that's foreign concept in the New Testament. You gather because Jesus is not dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're right. And yeah. so, you know, as so beliefs, uh, attitudes, uh, put them, the mind of Christ, yeah. you know, let this mind be in you. That was also in Christ. Jesus. That's an attitudinal kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, values. Christ is your life, Paul. Paul would say, "To live is Christ; to die is gain." Uh, what What do we value? Uh, goals. The, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek the things that are higher. You know, this is the language of the New Testament yeah. in the in the Gospels and Epistles. So, what we seek, uh, and and that's broken down into sub goals. You know, because I seek the kingdom of God, I seek this. Yeah. I seek that. We seek this. We seek that. And, and that's then practice where the local really comes in as well. Where oh, absolutely so much in that. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, with that, with that deal, as far as goals, you, one of the places you see this fleshed out in the in the New Testament is is those little throwaway sections in the epistles, where Paul starts talking about his plans. Hmm. You know, and and they don't apply to us because Paul's been dead a long time. Uh, <laughs> but he said, I I want to come see you. Uh, I'm planning to come visit you, but I'm going to stay here now because an open door is before me and I got all these opportunities, but then there's much opposition, but you know, he's making concrete plans based on seeking the kingdom and they're, they're specific, they're time bound They're You know, I want to go here. I want to go there. Uh, and, and so those, and they, they're, they change. So with these soul culture elements, there's fixed things like the goal, uh, and then there are flexible things like the plans, uh, but they're in, interwoven. Uh, but, but you know, Paul didn't live in a state of planning. He also was a practitioner. He went about it, and you see that throughout the Bible too. One of the great quotes I stumbled across as I've been thinking about this and, and, and teaching through it in the church uh, was in Walter Isaacson's book on Leonardo da Vinci. Mm -hmm. He, he's talking about Leonardo he is this great visionary and dreamer and all these wonderful ideas, but also he put stuff together and he, 
he he's a creator and yeah and Isaacson who teaches down at Tulane said that vision without execution is hallucination <laughs> and that's just been one of my favorite sentences you know recently yeah. and so practices you know what we do uh is part of soul culture but but it's 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 one constituent part and it's dependent on on the others and um and so that's how i've been thinking about it recently matt and for me it's been an innovation of thought that's helped me make culture less mysterious to some degree although it retains its its real rich spirituality because uh when you start analyzing those constituent parts, you recognize they don't work as a church without the resurrection of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, otherwise we're the Kiwanis club with better music. Uh, but as a church, they only work because of the, this, the Holy spirit. And, uh, and that is just interesting, you know, I love as well. The, uh, so often when we discuss, culture it's hard to focus on the macro and the mic then the micro at the same time and how, how right. connected to everyone else but how are we unique in our particular place and uh, i thought about this um we've been down to kennedy where i grew up which is about three and a half hours 200 and something miles south of here and so you try to make it all in one stop now you know no right no stopping, you know you know right you make it and uh so you're driving to all these little towns and and just loving small town texas having grown up in it most of them are pretty similar in many ways. And then you're driving through one and there's one you get through between here and Kennedy, which, you know, we talk about Texas being a high school football state and their big billboards are about all their cross country state championships. And you go, <laughs> well, what in the world is in the water of this particular place that I know, right? I mean, I know this place. That everybody's so fast. <laughs> yeah, that produces cross country championships where right yeah. down the road it's not. And like where my wife grew up there, it's this West Texas little place of Vernon they're known for tennis and they win ten but so there's something in the culture of yeah. that place and i think there's attitudes values practices goals and underlying beliefs that you know have fostered this important people over time that continue it on anyway uh that's connected to the larger but also really specific to that place and part of what makes it beautiful yeah and part of that you know is in the practice question like what do we do because of these things is because of who we are what do we do uh, I talked about that this past Sunday and the, you know, the question of what, what shall we do is based on kind of four, four filter questions. Whose am I? This is a question of stewardship. Uh, and, mm. and the scripture teaches you, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You belong to God, you know, body and, and spirit. Um, who am I? How am I made up? Well, how am I uniquely made up? What's our, what, what is our cluster of gifts yeah. and abilities and, personality, all that. Um, what do I have? I call this the asset question, you know, or the, or the supply question. What, what, what do you, to Moses, what's in your hand? Well, in some of those little towns, they had good tennis teams or that because at some point along the way, they had somebody who came to town that was really good at that and, and was yeah. able to, to, to say, I mean, that's, or, you know, they had a great basketball program someplace and no football team because they could afford basketball, but not football. Uh, or you have six man instead of 11 man because you're little bitty and you don't have enough people for that. So, it, you know, sometimes the asset question, uh, determines the, yeah. the service question. I mean, we do because this is what we've got. And, and 
And we, we take what we've got and, and we offer that to the Lord as the loaves and fishes. And, you know, he multiplies it in the ways that make sense uh, for, for the kingdom. So are pastors um, stewards of culture or change agents of culture in a church? Yes. Do we, do we steward yes. With <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think you, you go back to this, you know, Walter Wink's idea of principalities and powers that they're all, you know, they're created by God and they're all fallen. And so uh, I think this applies here, this concept. And I think every church culture, there's something that's, uh, uh, that reflects God's creativity and, and God's stamp and uh, God's image in that, in that community. And there's also aspects of it that are fallen, just like our own lives. You know, yeah. uh, it's a mixed bag of tricks. And so um, I think we are both stewards of that which, uh, which God has put together. And we are to be uh, very open to the transforming power of the spirit to, to repent of, to shape, to alter uh, yeah. that which is bad. And also just, you know, some of it requires change because there are fixed things and there are flex things. And uh, there was a great picture of First Baptist Church. Uh, it hangs in one of the basements of the library here. And a, a friend who's a security guard over there sent me a picture of it. And it's a picture of First Baptist. And all the congregants are standing on the steps. Sanctuary looks just like it looks today. I'm looking out and I can see the steps from my office. On one side of the church, people are, are standing by what looked like brand new Ford, uh, early Ford cars. And on the other side of the church, they're with ho horses and buggies and in the same picture, you know? So, I mean, th things, communities go through transition, churches go through transition. So some of it is, is not a sin issue. Some of it is just a, a history issue. Yeah. And there's some things that have to be adjusted because they have to be adjusted. And some of it is we've missed the mark and we're off, you know, we're off, off, off baseline from where God would have us. That's why I think the, these ingredients and this idea of me kneading the dough is so helpful uh, because the, yeah. the, the flex parts, they have to be, they have to flex in a way that's consistent with the fixed parts. So, you know, you, you're not free to just do anything because change is required or because we're in a season of crisis, you, you, you're free to do those things for which you've been formed by God. Yeah. And, and so you kind of got to feed that stuff back into the other, into the other things they got to work together or, or it, it just, the bread is funky <laughs> otherwise, you know, the, uh, uh, so yeah, it's hard to be a change agent without being a true steward and having that, that mantle of pastor passed on to you, not in title, but in practice, but it's right over time. You're probably not being a good steward if you're not somewhat of a change agent in what uh, that's absolutely, happen. that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. They're, they're, they're legoed together. Yeah. So I know we've got a lot of young ministers on that are just getting started post-seminary and figuring some of this out. We're all still figuring this out, honestly, obviously, but, um, and then we'll get to the pandemic part in just a minute. Yeah. You show up at a new church. How do you knead the dough to use that metaphor? How do you how do you learn some of the the yeah the mores practices, all of those components of culture in a new place? Well, we're obviously in an odd moment right now. So if somebody's starting in a new position right now, 
uh, I could only try to be thoughtful with him on a, on the telephone. I mean, I, I'm grateful I'm not starting at a new place right right this second. I think it'd be a little bit more difficult. Uh, but you know, in, in in softer times, you would prioritize those things like uh, listening. <laughs> you, know, you know, and and you you I think you hold back the trigger on I've got the answers until you learn. You know, you learn some things. Um, David Bolin, who was our music minister for a long time, he tells a story about when he went to Hawaii to be a music minister, and he got some great advice from one of the old congregants. He said, "Don't try to change much around here until you've learned how to how to surf," and uh, that it made some sense. You know, learn learn be a student of the community, be a student of the church community, be a student of the local community. Uh, there and there are some real uh, technical things you can do uh, to to facilitate that. But none of those technical fixes work if you're not really interested in the people and you're, you're not really paying attention and listening uh, to that. And, you know, now that I've picked up on these constituent element parts, I would just become a student of that. I, I'd, I'd break that apart in my own mind. You know, what are, what are the driving core beliefs here? Uh, what are, what's the general vibe? You know, what, what right now in this church, what, what are the attitudes? Is it a triumphant attitude? does that match the actual situation? You know, there's some churches that aren't nearly dead enough to do any good. I mean, they're real sick, but they're super confident in how healthy they are. And yeah. that's an attitudinal thing you want to figure out early. And um, I think I'd break the parts down now and try to analyze it that way uh, is, is how I'd go about it. I mean, you're, you're always doing this, you know. Well, that's what Bolsinger talks about in, uh, or I think he's stealing it from, um, somebody else now that name escapes me of uh, being in the balcony and on the floor of being on the yeah. floor among the people. And that's, I, to me, that's where it is. You've got to be listening to the stories, gathering the stories, learning the history, learning what matters to people, and then getting up on the balcony and looking at all of it and then going back down to the floor and back up. And that, no, uh, that's, that tricky that's a great, that's a great way to think about it. You know, two metaphors have always helped me as far as being a pastor to connect that floor and balcony level. Uh, the first one is the player coach in baseball. I know you're a baseball guy. I grew yeah. up a baseball guy. I uh, loved it. We're roughly the same age. And you remember in the 1980s, you were a little guy. And Pete Rose was the yeah. player manager of the Reds. Yeah. You know, Marge Schott wanted him to get the, get the hit title, but also needed to kind of uh, get Head some people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. so he was – but, you know, Joe Torrey started out his – managerial career as a player manager it's rare player manager was tris speaker hall of famer who grew up in hubbard texas 30 minutes well, down the road well there you go i mean it's a rare thing in professional baseball but it, it's happened enough and it's an interesting phenomenon it's always amazing to watch when it rolls around and and at one some someday it'll roll around again i think for yeah. for somebody and uh you know i think of being a pastor as being a, a player manager Hmm. Uh, you know, you can't afford to be so disconnected that you live in the balcony, but you can't just be the third baseman either. You have to, you have to do, do both. And, uh, the other one is, is old Hunter Thompson's concept of gonzo journalism. Hmm. You know, when Hunter Thompson was writing for Rolling Stone back in the day, he, he, he said, well, I, I will write about things by being a full participant in them. So when he when he wrote about the Kentucky Derby, he just went and partied in the infield for a week and wrote it from that perspective. And 
so he's a participant, but he's also someone who's thinking about it and being careful about it. And, you know, I think pastors have to have those dual roles in a church. I mean, you, you're not a consultant. You've got skin in the game. And yeah. I mean, and you're, you're ministering and uh, you're, you're part of the, you're part of what's happening. Uh, but you have, you have that added sort of responsibility to be the overseer uh, over under shepherd overseer. I mean, you, you never, you never quit washing feet, you know, but you also have to be thoughtful about, Hey, we, we had to rent this upper room and we had to pay for the donkey. And, <laughs> you yeah. know, you, you have the two levels of, of thought at all times. When I think many have, you know, many of us have a tendency to want or a, we like one of those better than the other. And we're naturally drawn yeah. to the balcony where we kind of get away from every, or to the floor where we lose and man, learning to balance those and, and work on those uh, seems a, a key to moving forward. Well, uh, and I think the balance, I think I, I, I'm with you. They have to both be there, but I don't know that you can get there by attempting to balance them. I remember when I asked a question <laughs> of, of Dorman Laird, who is my Hebrew professor and undergrad, an old Testament teacher, uh, and I asked him, I said, well, how do you balance like a scholarly pursuit of the Bible with the devotional life? And he just laughed. He said, man, you can't balance those things. He <laughs> said, you have to, he said, you have to pursue both of them in an integrated fashion and, uh, with, with, with all you got. And it's not like you can have, you can seal them off. And, uh, you know, I, I think, yeah, people are more naturally inclined to one side or the other. And, um, and, and I think the mistake that's most common is not to dance with the one that brung you, but to ignore what you're really good at. Yeah. You, you know, you, you yeah. feel deficient in one side of it. So you spend most of your try, time trying to, to be good at that, what you're not naturally great at that you, you neglect what you kind of naturally are strong at. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably most, most often than not it's counterintuitive, but I think that's the mistake that most people make. And, uh, you know, that one's, you can overcome it. You know, you've already quoted Levi or Dr. Price, but I remember when I took him for, I think it was probably life and work of the pastor. He brought in uh, Dr. Cook, Ron, who I think's on here, who we both, oh, both fantastic, of, both of those guys. And uh, he talked about um, the geniuses of the church and learning to find those that depending on where you are, they may do different things for a living but you're good at what you do and you get to show that off all the time as a minister and pastor. Uh, but learning from the people of your church and finding out what they love and what, and yeah, and I, I kind of instinctively knew that I think, but that day it clicked. I remember, I don't remember a lot of days from seminary, you know, really minutely. I remember that one. And that really for me was such the fun joy of pastoring was to figure that out and, and get to know all of those people and what they could bring. And oh, that, yeah. to me, that's that needing. That's what I think of a lot when I think of the needing of the dough is just figuring out who people are and why they're here, what they love and how it figures into who we all are together. Oh no, that's absolutely right. Uh, I remember reading one time where Eugene Peterson, I have sort of a, uh, you know, go and do otherwise approach to Eugene Peterson. I mean, nobody really gets the deal he got. So don't try to be Eugene Peterson. That's a whole nother webinar, Matt. But I, but I, 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 I really am drawn to his writing, and I so I have so much appreciation for him. And he said one time that he was a really bored pastor until he read James Joyce's Ulysses, and uh, which is a novel about a single day in the life of a single man. And he recognized that 
everybody in his church was a novel, was a story, was an amazing story. And, uh, and as Christians, we know that those stories are part of God's story and part of it's coming together. Uh, you know, I talked to Craig Curry uh, recently about uh, the importance of asset mapping in church. And, and, and we, we, we share that as a commitment yeah. and an idea and a, and a healthy practice. And uh, he, he recommended a book by Luther Snow titled The Power of Asset Mapping. And, and that's what you're talking about, I think, is you, you recognize that the people all bring together is fascinating contributions. Yeah. And, yeah. and you, you, as an overseer, pastor, you're trying to make connections. You're not trying to, like, correlate it. He talked about, like, um, barn buildings back in the old days. You didn't just put all the wood people together without the people who made the lunch. You had to have all of them to make the barn raising. And it's like that great American film, Jumanji. Uh, you know, it's, it's, about as, it's about as good as Citizen Kane. But you know, there's, there's a line in there where he's like, you can't, you can't kill a black mamba with a margarita. And, uh, and so because like this kid, he's got these two skills. He can fly planes and make cocktails. Uh, and, and so he's stuck in Jumanji for 20 years because nobody, you know, because nobody was there to kill the black mamba. And, uh, and I, you know, that's we got to put them all those all those skills together, all those abilities together. And and that's part of the part of how church is needed together, how culture is made and, and how we decide what to do. Yeah. Well, the uh, the fun of visiting with uh, Matt Snowden is the breadth of analogies that will be on the table. <laughs> From the remake of Jumanji to uh, to deeper things. Um, all right, let's pivot to culture right now. Um, so, how does one shape culture in pandemic? I'll just ask kind of the the title of the the webinar. Who's open there? Well, it seems to me we're living in, in short seasons right now, right? I mean, long-range planning makes about as much sense as, uh, as building a horse, horse and buggy factory. Uh, so, you know, long-range planning is what, three weeks? That's the best we could do in some I mean, ways. Yeah, and even um, it may be thrown out with any – Yeah, any you got to hold that loose. Like right now we're working on a five-week long-range plan with with multiple levels of contingency okay so that yeah. that's how that's how that worked but we've lived through one sort of clear season and you know we had we had spring we have summer and it's like that robert Earl Keane line in that song like it's been a long hot summer and not a drop of rain i mean it went from it went from the tiger king and and uh and government check sort of kinder gentler shutdown to man, everybody's doing different things and mad at each other, and it's really tough, and we don't know where. So we've moved into that second. What what John Crowder has done with that that emotional thing, man, that is so helpful because we're in we're in a real hard hard season headed toward the fall. Um, so you know, I think everything's different in, in different phases, but uh, as we as we plan through moving forward together and how how our practices shift. I think you have to feed back into those other, other, other areas. So we want to do this because this is who we are and this is what our goal is. And uh, I think we're, we're not without orientation. And I think if we're centered in a sort of a, a gospel orientation, different churches in different contexts uh, can be trusted to make good decisions about what the next steps are. Uh, but I think it's a real good time to not just ask what should we do, but ask who are we, ask what is what do we believe, 
uh, you know, go back and, and feed it through those other, those other areas. Yeah. I'm particularly struck by, um, you know, our beliefs don't change though. Our feelings about our beliefs might shift yeah. a little bit. Uh, but our, our, our attitude and practices and goals, I mean, probably our goals and our practices are going to change, but boy, I can feel just the attitude right now of uh, yeah. struggling to have the same attitude that we would have had when we're all gathering together. And it is a curious question. Um, our pastor just left and we had a, a going away, uh, like drive through going away for her because um, we couldn't all gather together. And man, just the act of driving to church was emotional and worshipful yeah. for our family. You know, yeah. Yeah. So there, while we all say, you know, that, yeah, the church is not the building. It's not, we get that. No one's really arguing that. I don't think, um, I think Austin Fisher tweeted something oh, about like, yeah. where are these people that think the church is a building? Yeah, at nobody. Same, <laughs> right, right. But at the same time, the physically gathering is such an important part of the culture that yeah. does form our attitudes. And we miss the the hugs and the handshakes and the being together and, worshiping and singing um that there is yeah we have to develop and work on yeah that general feeling when we're not together that to me that's part of the needing right now well yeah and i think that uh you know we live in in sort of an an excarnational time i mean we live in this sort of uh, era of the buffered self and um we're consumer driven in so many different ways but I think that uh, some leaders have done a disservice by downplaying uh, the sacrifice that it was to not gather. Uh, we should have cried about that far more deeply than we, we have. I mean, we're like, oh, we're just asking you to sit at home and watch it on television. Well, if that's not a big deal, something is probably off. Mm, that's a good word. And uh, so I think we have to we have to allow that lament to rise, um, and I think we have to 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 say that you know we want to we want to be um, moving in in ways that get us to a place where uh, we recognize the importance of gathered life and corporate life, um, and it and and it may be a while until it's exactly like you want it to be. Well, you know, maybe that's not the, the driving question. Uh, yeah, and there's a lot, a lot to learn from that. I, I, I appreciate what you said about lament. You know, there was quite a bit written. You know, if this all hit March 12th, somewhere around April 7th, probably, we yeah. started writing and hearing, okay, we need to mourn some of the loss. But we all thought we'd be back by mid-May or June. Right. Now here we are, July, and some have opened, some have closed. You know, it, it may be time to circle around for some of us back to uh, time, not unlike exile. Of here, here is yeah. we got to name our loss, come to grips with a new normal, so that we can dream new dreams. But you yeah. can't dream the new dreams until you've mourned what is lost and come to grips with the uh, the new yeah. normal right now. But well, I think exile is a really good way to think about it too. I mean, because that that was a, that was such an event uh, in the life of the covenant people. It was so defining. And I mean, we're, we are in a defining event. Uh, we're, we're in it and we're moving through it. Uh, in our church, Matt, we, we were founded in 1851. We have people in our church community, uh, infants. We have people that are over 100 years old, uh, more than one. 
Mm-hmm. So we have a full century of life represented in our congregation. And this event is being experienced uh, together at the same place, same time, first time for a century's worth of people. And uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's having a, a, a shaping effect. And um, I, I don't think we can, I mean, we're, we're half year into it at this point. I don't think we can, we can say it's a blip on the screen. It's a real deal. Uh, it's a it's a real deal, and uh, so why don't we just need to own that? Yeah, yeah. Rick uh, Lawton asks, who's out in uh, South Carolina these days, um, what are some of the fixed points, or what are some ways the fixed points and flex points have changed for FBC during this season? Well, the the thing about a fixed point is that they can't change, and so. <laughs> Uh, that's what makes them fixed. And so, you know, um, Jesus is still not dead and, uh, the pandemic won't change that. Uh, so those, I mean, when I'm talking fixed, I'm talking about real core fundamental issues. Uh, you know, we, you are, we are to always, uh, uh strive for the same values and the same attitudes uh, based on, uh, what the revelation of God in Christ. I mean, we know God because God turned to us because of the condescension of the Lord, because of the incarnation of Jesus. Those, when I talk about fixed points, I'm talking about those, those kind of big rock things that sit at the foundation. So they, they don't change. Uh, now the flex, the flex points as far as our practices, like how, how we've been able to, to, practice our life you know we still have to seek the kingdom but we have to have different types of plans and so for us it just got with the with the initial you know march crisis moment it just got super simple you know what are the things that we can do ongoing what are the things must we do how can we be a servant to our community so it's like you know providing food so, you know, we're, we're, um, we used our, I turned our fellowship hall into a place that was a, a gathering point for grassroots organizations to feed people out of. We still do the meals on wheels. We, we became a, a site for Texas hunger initiative to feed. So, I mean, how do you, it was feeding people. Uh, how do we continue to get our, our message out, you know? And so it became just pivot totally to the streaming, all that stuff. How do we stay in touch with each other? So it's like, how do you keep your groups together? How do you tell a pastor? What's your plan for all that? So, you know, the practice has shifted. And now we're in a place where we recognize they're going to have to shift again and then again and then again. Uh, so I, I, I watched this thing that uh, leadership thing that Ray Mavis did. He was former governor of Mississippi, ran the Navy for a while. And most of it was just general leadership stuff that we've all seen a thousand times. But there's one, one little section that was helpful or he talked about instead of the new normal, just talk about the next normal. Mm. And, you know, and that's been very helpful to me because we, you know, it's this stuff is you can't settle into a new normal and say, Oh, well, this is the new normal for church life. It's going to be the new normal for about a month. And then we got to walk away from that. I mean, so you, you can't put roots down in something that should be transitory. And so, you know, everybody was quick to say, well, this is the brand new way of doing church and nobody's ever going to come back again. That was really dumb. You know, and uh, and and so I, you know, the uh, Eisenhower warned about the industrial military complex or whatever. Well, there's a you know, consultation industrial complex 
out there that, uh, man, they, I get weary, uh, you know, everything that begins with, if I was a pastor right now, I've quit reading. <laughs> yeah. Cause, Cause I mean, give me a break. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we just don't know. And, uh, and my crystal ball hadn't worked in a long time. So the, the flex parts are really flexible right now because they got to change about every month or so. And I think that I, I skipped over this question inadvertently from earlier that we were going to talk about. But one of the, the questions we were going to discuss was why, why talk about culture as opposed to vision or mission or something like that? Well, you need mission. You need to be driven by mission. You need to be aware of your church's mission. You need to have vision for the church, but that can only flow from culture, particularly in crisis when how you've responded flowed from the culture, um, where if you've only got a mission statement and three sentences with four subpoints and three subpoints under each of those, and that's all that you've got, it's really hard to shift that when the world shifts around you. But when you're run from culture, then you can lean back and trust in your identity and that needing that has been done to say, we're still the same people. We just must be called to some different practices right now. That's right. And that's one of the first things that I address with our staff. Uh, I'm so grateful for the ministers, the staff at our church. I mean, they're a pleasure to work with. They're awesome, godly people. And, you know, one of the first thing, one of the first meetings we had, uh, there was so much stress and so much anxiety I had it. They had it. We all had it. I mean, it was just, we all, every, we all were in the beginnings of a crisis. And I said, I think one of the things that's important for us to acknowledge early when we feel like everything has dropped out from under us is that everything has not dropped out from under us. And we don't have to change a hundred percent of who we are. And I laid out a lot of this stuff. I said, in fact, what we have to do is lean on a lot of stuff that will not change regardless. Mm. I said, and what we have to adjust is our practices. And so we can focus on that. And I said, and, and on top of that, I said, the things we worried about two weeks ago that kept us up at night and we fretted about and all that, you know, you know nobody cares about that right now. So you're not asked to even carry a larger burden than you were carrying two weeks ago. It's just a different burden. You know, I, I know like I had a meeting scheduled right the same day that we had to dis decide about shutting down church for the first time. I had a meeting scheduled with someone about uh, the need for new choir robes. And, and so we were all jacked up about, you know, getting new choir robes. It, it was going to be a deal. And, and I, there's a great person I was having this meeting with and had some other issues related to worship. And I just said, look, in light of, in light of what's going on this week, perhaps we put this uh, meeting on hold. And she, she very graciously wrote back and says, yeah, I thought you might want to do that. Because <laughs> you know what we haven't cared about in a hundred and something days? We hadn't cared about the, the stinking choir robes. You know? yeah, that's exactly we'll, right. we'll care about them again, but that's just something we didn't have to care, care about for a while. And, and so, you know, there's trade-offs, there's tons of trade-offs. And so it gets really manageable uh, when you, when you can just focus on those things that you need to focus on, knowing that some of it just never changes. And I think kind of piggybacking on that a little bit in focusing what you can focus on, understand, I mean, Ron just posted something about understanding culture helps you love your church. Yeah. And loving your church is loving it for who it is. And vision can take your, you know, and mission sometimes not grounded in culture can take your church away from who it is and end up hurting it. Understanding your cult church or church culture, get that one straight, 
yeah. is about knowing who your church is and who it is not. And that's right. a really big part of that. Um, there's some no, that that's that exactly right. To do. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, you know, vision is an important category and I, I, we should talk about it and we should, we should, we should have one. We should never import one. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, it's kind of like that scene where David is going to fight Goliath and they try to roll him out there in Saul's armor. And he's, uh, it's just a comical scene. You have this vision of this dude rattling around in this tall man's armor. You know, it's like, remember when Chris Farley wore David Spade's jacket? Fat you know, man fat, in a little coat. Fat, fat man in a little coat. <laughs> And uh, and uh, I have that scene in my mind when I read that in the Bible. And, uh, and I mean, there's too many churches that are like a fat man in a little coat, you know, we're just putting on somebody else's clothes and, and it doesn't work. And there's frustration and anger. And then uh, the, for me, one of the greatest uh, sort of places to think about this is in a life together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I read it a couple times every year. And there's a scene in there where he just talks about, God hates visionary dreaming. Mm. And he, he said, you know, it, and basically he said, and it was meaning like creating a church, an ideal church in your mind without any con connection to the concretized realities of life. And he said, you know, first the, the visionary dreamer in the church despairs of his brother. Then he despairs of God. And ultimately he despairs of his own self. And, um, and I think that's what you're talking about with sort of a artificial or saccharine or faux vision. Uh, you know, it's generated from someplace other than what God would have for a people in a place. And it ultimately leads you to, uh, to, to viewing the church as them and not us. And, uh, you know, I've often heard people say, well, the ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. God, those are some miserable pastors. And, um, but they, mo but most of the time, but most of the time they have a vision. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. No, I've, I've said it on occasion and four out of five times was tongue in cheek. And, uh, yeah, yeah. one out of five times. Yeah. So the, uh, well, you, you say it when you're in a really bad place. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You, you yeah. say it when you're in a really unhealthy place. Well, and then other days you, yeah, it, you, it's the, particularly as soon as I came to true it, man, it was some of those most headache people that you miss the most, you know, that you, yeah. that you first ones you visit when you call one of them passed away last week, you know, and uh, anyway, that, yeah, that's the way that goes. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Dr. Dr. Ken Hall is on Facebook following us. Who's a former ah. member of your church. And uh, my uncle, I'm happy and proud to say he has, he can be a, he can be a current member really easily. I can help <laughs> him. With, I, can, I can help, I can help him with that. Or just send the tithe. He don't have to join. Um, the, uh, we'll take it. <laughs> he said, how can antique ministers like him uh, in retirement be helpful in the crisis of change, particularly uh, maybe as stewards of culture? Oh, man, that's a fantastic question. Um, I'm so grateful to be part of a community of faith that has uh, has guys like Ken in it who have who know the story and who have uh, who are settled and uh, are all in with the congregation. Uh, I could give you a list of names. You know, uh, the, I, I call guys like Jeter Bazin and talk things out with Jeter. John Anderson uh, talk things out with John. Uh, I think just being a friend to the leadership and being a uh, – because you're in leadership, whether it's in an official flow chart or 
just because you have gatekeeper influence, um, being, being somebody who's going to be a truth teller and, uh, and, a and an open, you know, some to be the person that you can have uh, napkin conversations with a, a napkin conversation is where you say, Hey, I want to invite you out to lunch and you pull out a pen and you, and you chart out what your notions are on a napkin and say, yeah. what do you think about this? Uh, to be people that you can have the meeting before the meeting with. Uh, and uh, man, that's just invaluable. That, that's just an incredible, incredible gift. Uh, it, it brings so much stability. Uh, you know, in, in, a, in a large country like ours, you, the bureaucracy, we often fuss about the bureaucracy in, in the nation's leadership, but it, the bureaucracy does bring stability between, between uh, you know, sometimes radical changes in, in elected leadership. And uh, so what I'm advocating is that Ken becomes part of the deep state and, <laughs> and, and just helps be part of that. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a really good, good role to be in, I think, in a, in a church, just to be kind of a, a quiet, strong presence uh, that, you know, they know, you, they know you're with them because they know you're, you both want the best for the church, but you're also with them enough to tell them, the real, real, the real truth as you see it and, uh, and ability to, to work it out together. Uh, man, I, I, I can't tell you how much those people mean to me and, and my life. And if you're smart, you'll listen to them. And, um, you can't always, you know, and, and resist the urge to try to make out the leaders into, you know, in, to create them into your own image. Yeah. You know, refuse to put marionette strings on the pastor recognize that this needs to be an eyeball to eyeball kind of, kind of relationship, uh, if it's going to work right. Uh, but, but yeah, just, just don't disengage, stay in there. And, and, uh, and if, and if the invites aren't coming from your side, you make the invites and, and, and hang close to those folks cause they're going to need you. Well, you know, when I went and pastored a brand new church, not brand new to me, it was a brand new church. I was first pastor right out of seminary. At the time, I thought, boy, if we could just get a bunch of 20-somethings, 30-somethings in here, we will flat grow a church. And uh, after about, I don't know, three months, I realized, no, give me a bunch of 50 to 70-year-olds, you know, that have some wisdom, but have a lot of energy still and have just a lot to share. And boy, that's when a church, I think, can do something. And you need yeah. all the generations, certainly. But that particular group that has institutional memory, that has uh, wisdom, that has resources, that may have time as well, particularly if they're not working, um, that can help me as a pastor run off some cliffs when I'm about to through friendship. Yeah, yeah. And then, but then when the time comes to change and move, that can help the church go through that process that it's not all on staff and church. That's a no, that's right. And I think, I think it humanizes uh, the process of transformation too, in very holy ways. Uh, I've thought a lot about the book of Ezra recently. Uh, Cause I think there are so many parallels to the leadership that Zerubbabel and Ezra and so forth. Uh, what we're facing now, as far as sort of vicarious priestly ministry and all that. But there's that scene where they where they're rebuilding the temple, and it's this great day, and there's great joy and praise, and a loud shout rises up, and the older people who had memory of the former 
uh, temple, they're weeping. And from a distance, you can't tell if it's a shout of joy or a shout of weeping. And I think we have to recognize we live in a very penultimate reality uh, where we, we seek the kingdom, but the kingdom uh, is not fully present. And uh, we live in a world uh, where joy and sorrow meet. And that's a holy, holy place. And uh, particularly at this time where in a crisis, what, what makes a crisis a crisis is that, is that you have very few really good options. Mm. And so whatever we do is going to be a painful decision. And that's, we're going to have a series of painful decisions for a while. That's what makes a crisis a crisis. So you either opt out or you be willing to take the licks. And when you're, if you're a young leader and uh, you need to have some people who are in the weeping category too, to help bring the whole human perspective together you know, and to do it intergenerationally is I think right now the only way to do it faithfully. And, uh, so Ken, your, to your question, uh, man, we got to have one another in this one. Uh, as I, I don't see another way forward. Um, uh, and it doesn't mean, and this, and here's the thing that doesn't mean everybody in each generation is going to be able to do the exact same things at the exact same times in the exact same ways. And it's, so there, this is ripe for division. Uh, there's, I mean, it, this is just teeing one up for the devil because this is ripe for division. Uh, but one of the other, another thing about Ezra's story is that some went back to Babylon and said, said, said and, went, and some said, some went back to Jerusalem and some stayed right there and said, but the ones that stayed said, but we're supporting you and we're with you. And uh, so people are going to have to do things at different paces at different times. And we've somehow got to hold everybody together, recognizing that it may not look exactly the same for everybody, but we've got to find a way to move, move forward together, even if it's not exactly the same stuff at exactly the same time. And uh, we've got to sanctify that, I think, and say that's okay and, and be, be for each other in the midst of it. I, I don't see a way around that one. No, and yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, particularly struck by that part, I guess, in, at the end of Ezra 2, of the the rejoicing and the mourning, um, the cry, and the chapter just kind of ends, right? I mean, yeah. right there with that line of, you couldn't distinguish them without really saying much, you know, not, not giving any commentary on that. And, yeah. and I don't take that as a negative, really, but that, no. frankly, that's the life of the church. We're always, in any given worship setting, there's cries of joy and there's cries of grief all at this mingled there together all, all to the same time and, and we i think for worship planning right now and everything finding ways to hold that together um it will be very powerful depending on what everybody's going through in any given given setting that's exactly right and sometimes matt let's be really honest about it it's harder to rejoice with those that rejoice than it is to weep with those who weep <laughs> and uh but they're both holy and appropriate and right and um We've got to, we got to keep on rolling with, with those two things. Well, Matt, thanks for being with us today. We could go on a while, but we're coming up to our lunch hour. Um, do you have a last blessing or word of encouragement for those following us today? Uh, Matt, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the people who are watching this and participating in this and will watch later. And I would say, this is what I think right now, is that the greater body of Christ if there's any time in our lives where we need to offer each other 
mercy and kindness and grace. It's right now. I think that uh, I was in a great phone call with pastors from all over Texas yesterday, sound, it's from San Antonio to Amarillo to Houston to, you know, all over, all Dallas, all over the place. And everybody's church is kind of having to do things differently in their context and their situations. Even within cities, people are going to make different decisions. Um, I think let's be kind to one another. Let's be nice to one another. And I mean, I certainly think if you have strong opinions, you can share it, but, but remind yourselves that social media is not the real world. And, uh, uh, you know, there's just a lot of people with nothing better to do being jerks on there all the time. And I think pastor leaders need to opt out of that. And we all need to offer each other some grace. And, um, and another thing is this is, this is not an unprecedented moment that, uh, the church has faced pandemic many times. The church has faced harder things and it's on us now. You know, we, we, we've got the baton and this is a moment for us. And I think, uh, with God's grace, we will, we will do, we will do well. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's what I believe in my heart of hearts. So let's keep on trucking. (laughs) Let's just keep moving together. (laughs) Well, Matt, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for taking time today and for your wisdom. I think it's been a blessing to me and I hope to others. And uh, thank you all for joining us today. Um, Keep on trucking. That'll be our our final encouragement on the way out. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye, guys. Have a great day. Bye.